Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again today on the program. I, I trust that you are continuing to be blessed by our continuing series uh, as we've continued to teach from the book of Revelation from a redemptive viewpoint. Once again, we really are not trying to fight anybody else's view. We simply try to share what we believe God said to us, and then uh, you have the human prerogative to eat the grapes and spit out the seeds, receive what you can, let the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm convinced more than ever that the Holy Spirit is able to communicate to your heart what is truth and what is not. But what we've been doing in this uh, many-week uh, teaching, and let me just say also uh, with that, that if you have missed some of the teaching, because we've built for probably, I don't know, I've lost track now, probably 16 weeks or better of teaching on the book of Revelation, and we are uh, just now getting in chapter 3. And we've been sharing this for some time, but you can go back and watch anything that we have aired to date is archived on YouTube. You can simply go to our website, and there's a link directly there to everything we have aired. And you can go back and watch these programs. Like today, if you get excited about something, say, boy, I'd sure like to see that again. You can go back and watch it again on YouTube or on our website. Also, uh, by going to uh, the TBN uh, uh, website, you can go there, and uh, they keep uh, some of the programs archived, I think, for several weeks. So you can uh, go there and do that as well. Uh, if you do not know, you also can download the TBN app to your smartphone or your smart device, your iPad, your computer, and you can literally, uh, even if you don't have cable where uh, you are at, you can watch uh, uh, the programming live or archive by downloading the TBN app, and uh, it will give you all 10 of TBN's channels, and you can just watch it at your, uh, at your convenience. And I know that'll be a blessing to you. Let me say that we are teaching some things from uh, a book we recently wrote uh, called the, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and there'll be information on the screen as to how you can get that if you'd like to get it follow along. Uh, but uh, we've been sharing for the last several weeks uh, about the church, the seven churches that are in Revelation. And let me say again by way of review that these letters, first of all, sometimes we forget that these letters were really written to seven churches that were really in Asia at the time uh, of this, uh, this particular time. These things had to have some relevancy uh, to the church alive in that day. If they did not, in other words, if I wrote a, a letter to the church at, let's say, Atlanta, and I'm really writing to that church for something that's going to occur 2,000 years in the future. Why in the world would I write something to them, uh, you know, now that's not even going to be relevant for 2,000 years? But see, this first century church was the first group of people, and interestingly enough, the word uh, church is the Greek word ecclesia. And it literally means the called out ones. And I have dealt with this some in the past and may deal with it again some in the future. But this ecclesia, these called out ones, one of the things they are being called out of is they're being called out of an old covenant and into a new covenant. They are being called out of a mosaic economy and what I call rules on rocks governing them to a kingdom, uh, Holy Spirit indwelling life that governs them, a life that's lived from within instead of an external code that's superimposed upon you. Uh, I think when you see things like uh, 
uh, Romans, the 12th chapter. I like it from the Woost translation where it says, Stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you. Uh, but change your outward expression to be fashioned after the real you, the inward you. Uh, so a real transformation uh, in, is from the inside out. I believe one of the things that, uh, especially the Message Bible says, is that uh, you know what we have done with the law, as we have made the law like a band-aid on sin. Read it in the uh, Message Bible. It's so clear in the eighth chapter, and it said you know instead of the deep healing of sin. We've preached the law, and it's become a Band-Aid. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to preach somewhere, and I'm going to take a roll of duct tape, or I'm going to get a whole, you know, a whole box full of Band-Aids and just start sticking them on people and start showing how what we've done with our methods of religion is that we have literally put a Band-Aid on people rather than a deep healing from the inside out. Let me just say in clarity, what we are trying to preach is not something that would give people a license to sin. What we're trying to get folk to do is to understand how this really works from the inside out because with this performance-based labor and sweat um, religious system has made us fail over and over and over again. But I, I tell you, I'm excited about learning an interdependency on the Holy Spirit who is my teacher who is able to convince me of righteousness. It's able to convict me of areas of my life that need to be changed because he's not just some external code that somebody wrote and said, here, keep the rules. This is him living his life, not just uh, uh, out there somewhere, but in and through me. Jesus gave his life for me, but he also gave his life to me. And if, I'll get, if I've got any sense at all, I will let him live his life through me. And I, I can't help but think again about the fifth chapter of Romans. The Message Bible says it like this. It says, here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. So most people that have heard the message of grace are just excited that they're not in trouble any longer. But the truth of it is, is I want more than just not being in trouble with God. I, I want to receive this life. It's the abundant life. It's not just for when you get to heaven. It's the abundant life right here right now. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's why we call this program that you might have life. Jesus came to give you the best life on the planet. Uh, that being said, I want to get over here today and begin a, a, a new church. We've been for the past several weeks dealing with Thyatira. Today we're going to deal with Sardis. And so if you uh, want to open your Bible, I'm in the third chapter of Revelation. I want to read the text, and then we'll begin to make some comments. It says, Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works to be perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. Metanoia, change the way you think. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names in Sardis, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Now, uh, this, uh, this church, first of all, is in transition. Once again, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. And if you've watched the last 16, 18, or 20 programs, what we've showed you is that the repentance or the paradigm shifts, because the word repentance simply means to change the way you think. Uh, can you imagine the massive shift that must have been going on in this first century church when for 1,500 years you've done everything by the law of a mosaic system, and now all of a sudden there's a whole new paradigm, there's a whole new form of government. I mean, you can really see these things uh, even among the apostles in the early church in the book of Acts where they're trying to decide, uh, you know, this whole new paradigm shift again of Gentiles being saved and the house of Cornelius coming in and uh, uh, now what do we do with these Gentiles? Do we put them back under Jewish laws and Jewish customs? Do we put them back under a burden that we ourselves could not keep? And, and that's what uh, the apostles begin to debate is that, you know, why put them back up under something uh, that, we, that we ourselves could not keep? These men are uh, trying to figure their path through uh, the paradigm shifts. They're trying to decide, do we do we circumcise these Gentiles? Do we make them keep Jewish laws? Uh, do we, you know, it's amazing to me that right now there's even uh, seem, seemingly a move where uh, everybody's trying to get people to become Jewish. God never called you to become Jewish. God called you to become a Christian. He called you to become a believer. And so, you know, uh, the, matter of fact, the, the big debate in the early part of the book of Acts was even when, you know, the apostle Peter would go down and he ate with the Gentiles. But when his friends from Jerusalem would come, He'd get up and act like he wasn't a part of that. And Paul said, I rebuked him to his face because he was to blame. He said, you being a Jew have made yourself like a Gentile, then why are you trying to make these Gentiles act like Jews? And so the truth of it is, is that these men were in a massive, massive shift. I think what's tragic to me, though, is that here we are 2,000 years into the New Covenant, and we still need to make these same paradigm shifts because we keep wanting to go back up under the law. And one of the things that I want to say about that is, see, he comes to this church at Sardis. And this church at Sardis, he appears to them first of all and says, I am he uh, that has the seven spirits of God. The first thing he reveals himself is two things. He says, these things says he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I already have shared with you in previous segments that the seven stars were the seven messengers of the seven churches that are in his right hand. These are the ministries that he's releasing to make this shift. But when I think about the seven spirits of God, it's really not seven different spirits, but I believe it is the ninth chapter of Isaiah. It is the, it is the sevenfold spirit of God. It's like the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of might and the spirit of the Lord. And uh, the, the, there are uh, the sevenfold spirit of God. So what he's saying to this church at Sardis, is he's saying to them, here's what I've got to offer you is the sevenfold Spirit of God and ministry that are flowing from this dimension. Because if you will receive from them, then this is what's going to empower you to be able to repent and change the way you think. And again, you know, I, I have shared this again over the last 18 weeks or better, is that before 
the Lord Jesus Christ will come to any one of these churches and say to them, uh, repent. What he will do is give them a revelation of some aspect of himself that's in that church that will literally help them make the shift. And so when he's revealing himself to, to them as the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God, he is literally releasing to them, uh, this, this is what I am in the midst of you that's going to empower you to be able to make these shifts and these transfers. Then he goes on to say, I know your works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works, watch this, perfect before me. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt know, not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I think that's powerful uh, that he would say this. In, in other words, what, what he comes to this church at Sardis and he says to them, look, I want to reveal myself to you as the one that has the sevenfold Spirit of God, so that everything you need to make the transition and come to repentance is going to be supplied to you uh, by the sevenfold Spirit of God and by these seven stars that are in my right hand. In other words, I'm going to give you the kind of ministry that's going to release a word to you that's going to be able to help you make this paradigm shift. Now, he says to them, I know your works and that thou hast a name that you live, but you're dead. You know, one of the things to me is that uh, we can have an appearance of being alive and really not be alive at all. I, I think sometimes we think that being alive means we've got a shout and a dance and a, uh, you know, a lot of lively stuff going on in, in our churches. And listen, I'm, I'm certainly not against that because I'm, I'm Pentecostal in my roots and, and I love the Pentecostal paradigm. But I'm also aware that that's not everybody's cup of tea. There are some folks that write in, for instance, even concerning our ministry. And they love it when I'm in the studio, and they love it when I sit here and talk to the camera and very calmly, matter of fact, teach the Word. And uh, some of them don't like the paradigm where I'm in a service where I'm just preaching and, uh, you know, I'm just reared back like a hammer on a Winchester, so to speak, and preaching. Uh, and then there are those that call in and say, well, we really like that dynamic. We like the excitement of the shout and the holler and the preaching and the good preaching. And it's just really a matter of taste. Uh, some folks like that, some folks don't. But that doesn't mean you're alive or dead. In other words, I, I could think my, my dear grandmother used to think, she'd say, you know, the louder you preach, the more anointing she thought you had, and the, or the more, she called it, the, the more far you had. She called it fire, far instead of fire. She thought, boy, the guys that preach and just, you know, uh, you know, pump the blood out on the blood vessels of their neck and their head. Well, they, they got to fire. And she'd always tell me, Lynn, you got to fire, you know. And, uh, but, you know, really, that's just my style of preaching. Uh, I, I, you know, and that's, uh, that, that doesn't mean I'm any more anointed or less anointed than anybody else. It just means that's my style. But we, we cannot gauge whether we're alive or dead by that because I can remember setting in those paradigms where I'm sitting there uh, in what seemed to be a live church, but I literally was dying. 
because the truth of it was the life was flowing out of me. The whole thing that he's beginning to talk to them about here is, first of all, he talks to them about their works. He said, I've not found your works to be perfect before me. And he said, remember, how, therefore, how thou hast received. In other words, go back and remember what you've already received and heard and hold fast to that. And if you do, if you don't watch, he said, I'm going to come upon you like a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. I'm going to save a segment just to talk about him being coming like a thief. But he said, but you have a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and thou walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name for my father. The issue to this church, I believe, is one of a righteousness consciousness. You say, what do you mean? Because he says, if you overcome, uh, you're going to walk with me. You're going to be clothed. The same shall be clothed in white raiment. He tells them to keep their garments. He said, there are a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And again, he said, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Uh, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So the whole concept here is that uh, the garment that you have is a white robe. It is a white garment. It is a robe, if I could say it like this, of righteousness. There's other places in the book of uh, Revelation where it says, for the uh, fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so what I'm hearing him say to this church at Sardis is he's saying to them, uh, you know, walk before me. In other words, remember what you had already received. Now, I, I believe that the reason that this church uh, had a name for being alive but they were dead was because they still are trying to make this righteousness thing work through the works and labor and sweat of human effort. And I believe that's what spots the garment and makes the garment polluted. Because the righteousness that we have, if this robe of white and righteousness is denoting a, uh, the righteousness of God that we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have because of the abundance of grace and the gift, and I want to emphasize that, and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and what I begin to see was that, that this robe of righteousness is something that was given to us as a gift. What begins to sap the life out of us is when we think we got to work and labor and labor and work and make our works perfect, so to speak. Uh, what you're going to always find out is that your works are never going to be quite good enough to be declared righteous. I want to uh, show, share, share this scripture. I believe it is in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. It says this, uh, 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 chapter, this is 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. This is the King James Bible. Verse number 6, it says, Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, for the, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. The paradigm again here is law and grace. The letter, Old Covenant, kills, the Spirit gives life. Uh, so when he says you have a name that you live, but you're dead. It, to me, appears to be a church that's very religious, and they've got the appearance of being very much alive, but the truth of it is the life is running out of them. Uh, and then he goes on to say, that, uh, but if the administration, watch this, for if the, 
But if the ministration of death written and engraven on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, how much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory? For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excels. For if that which is done away was glorious, how much more than that which remaineth is glorious? Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Uh, now, I just want to stop there for a moment and tell you that when I think about this church at Sardis, he said, you've got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. He's still trying to get this church once again to make the paradigm shift from an old covenant mentality to a new covenant mentality, because if you are preaching the law, it will literally kill. It will shut up faith. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians, again, I believe it is chapter 15, uh, verse number uh, 56, it says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but it's what we preach over American pulpits every week. Now, what I'm trying to get us to see is that he's trying to get this church to change the way they think and to remember what they have already received. Because what you've already received was a robe of righteousness that was based on a gift that was given to you because one man was literally made sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. My garment that I have on is not on the basis of my works or perfection, because if you're trying to approach God based on that, you are always going to be weighed in the balance and found wanting. As a matter of fact, the Scripture tells you that the purpose of the law in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 is He literally indicts everything and everyone until He comes into chapter 3 and all the world. He said the purpose of the law was that all the world would become guilty and that every mouth would be stopped so that at some point you would realize there's none righteous, no, not even one. Nobody, not even Moses, made it in by the works of the law, so God is going to always find that your works based on the law are not perfect. That you cannot, uh, there, if there was a commandment that could have been brought, given your life, then verily righteousness would have been by the law. Now, what I'm simply trying to say by that is, is that he's saying to this church here, uh, if you sit under that administration of death, you, you got a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. I, you know, I literally remember as a young man sitting in church, and, and I want to say this too in all fairness, those men that taught me that and taught me what they did, did it because that's what they knew at the time. All of us have, you know, when, when, when people, you know, uh, hear me preach a lot of times today, and I, I can, you know, I can kind of mimic how they used to preach that stuff when I was growing up, and they said, well, you do that awful good. And that's because I tell them, because I was one of them. I used to preach like that. And, and, and see, where, where we're at really, it, even as you flip the channels of this television set today, you're going to see a lot of people that are different levels of coming into the message of the grace of God and the new covenant and the kingdom of God. Because I'm telling you, it is literally sweeping the nations. And we are all tweaking, correcting, and bringing some clarity to what God is saying to us. But the truth of it is, I am so excited about where we're at because we're in such a massive paradigm shift where we're beginning to realize, hey, I don't have to live in that administration of death. Like I said, I sat right in church, and I was like that, man, I was like that Cheerio commercial that I used to see on television. That boy was pumping a bicycle up the hill, and it said, you know, this boy 
is running out of steam. Can I tell you, that was me sitting in churches. This boy was running out of steam because the more they preached rules and regulations and laws, and a lot of it was not even biblical stuff. It was traditions and concepts and ideas of men, and it was literally sucking the life out of me. And the whole time I'm talking about, boy, we're alive, we're alive. But the truth of it is the life was draining out of us until you finally get to the place you throw in the towel and say, you know what, I'm just not making it. And if I'm not making it, uh, you know, then, then all of a sudden you start to think what they're preaching. You think, you know, I'm, I'm headed to hell. And if I'm headed to hell, uh, you know, and I'd, get, I'd, I'd feel like I needed to get saved every week. And, and what I'd do is I'd go to the altar again and again and again until I finally got tired of thinking, man, I've lost my salvation. I've got my salvation. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I hope I die on He loves me. But the truth of it is He loves me. He loves me. He can't stop loving me. My salvation is not that volatile. I am secure in the fact that God's salvation is not only for me when I got born again, but it's still working in me. It's still producing the peaceable fruits of righteousness. So when I see this church and he's saying to them, you know, you need to repent and hold fast to what you have. I'm thinking about a righteousness. You know, in other words, if we keeping our garments to me, it's not like, okay, i got to run out and get this little sin out of my life and this little sin out of my life. It means I cannot be swayed to be drawn back to that old covenant mentality that brings me to administration of death that sucks the life out of me. I'm telling you, I have been a recipient of resurrection life, and the power of His resurrection has been what was given to this church to be able to make those shifts. I'm telling you, uh, when, he, when, when, he, when He says to them, uh, there are those who, who at Sardis have kept their garments, I believe there's a people out there right now who are saying, you know what, you're not talking me out of mine. I know who I am. I know that I received this righteousness as a gift. And I want to say to people, look, as I look straight into this camera and say to you, uh, what part of gift don't you understand? I'm telling you it's a gift. And so it's the gift of righteousness. Keep it. Guard it. Don't let anybody take it from you. It is what was given to you when he confessed your name before his father and wrote your name in the book of life. I think that's incredible. I'm about to run out of time. Tune in again next week as we continue talking about the church at Sardis. Take a moment to call the number on the screen if you'd like to sow seed into this ministry to help us take the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom around the world. It is your faithful partnership that does that. We need partners. We appreciate you, and we appreciate you telling your friends about us, watching us regularly. Uh, you know, you could call the number on the screen and just let us know you're enjoying this and we thank you for that. God bless you. Tune in again next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.